Welcome to The Spawn Chunks, episode number 117 for Monday, November 30th, 2020. My name is Johnny, but the internet knows me as Pixorifs, and joining me as always is stalagmighty Joel Duggan. Hi, Joel. Hey, I'll take that for the win. Uh, if you would like to hear our little conversation about the charity stream, we're going to hear more about that in a minute, uh, but also Multicam Studio setups, podcasting and streaming behind the scenes, and Lego. Uh, then you should check out the render distance. And that is something available to our members. You can become one at patreon.com slash the spawn chunks. So uh, let's get right into it, seeing as we've we've teased that at the top of the show. Uh, this weekend, I uh, kind of partnered with some folks in the 8-bit community. Uh, the Hot Dish has been on the show before, so she's one of the the founding members of the 8-bit community. But they've grown into a, a multi-armed, multi-headed hydra of, of streaming on Twitch. And they have a bunch of different folks on all sorts of disciplines on Twitch, from video games to arts and crafts to food and drink. And they all got together and had a charity raid train weekend, where from Friday through to Sunday, every streamer raided the next streamer in the train. So effectively, the 8-bit community was this sort of one long stream of streamers. And I was, towards the end of that, I decided to uh, to pitch in and help them out, considering that I was planning on doing some sort of charity project towards the end of the year, but with my wife in the United States, I didn't really have a chance to kind of incorporate her and organize stuff and she'd helped me so much with the the previous streams that we had done so i i hopped on board and uh the community managed to raise five thousand two hundred and forty dollars while i was streaming minecraft for them which was absolutely phenomenal effort from everybody involved and i want to say thank you personally to anybody who who came out and supported the cause we were raising money for saint jude children's research hospital and um I came up with a few incentives just designed around messing with me in Minecraft for the most part. Um, I I wanted to do it so that you could uh, effectively have a name added to the guest book for my museum. So I think at the front desk there's going to be a guest book where you can basically sign in and there's going to be a bunch of names. I think we ended up with about 14 pages of names uh, wow. that, that are already part of that. Um, and it's Minecraft pages in a, in a written book, so it's like, you know, 14 lines per page, I think. So a bunch of people got involved. Um, but yeah, we, we ended up just adding everybody's name to the guest book as we went. Um, the other incentives included forcing me to stay awake instead of sleeping through the nights, which by the end of the stream meant I was fighting off phantoms by the bucket load. But that was very fun. Uh, switching my interface language around so I started out the stream and immediately had to play in Japanese uh, and the the hardest part of that was finding the options to switch it off again afterwards you know you know when like somebody somebody like one of your friends who's just messing with you will like change the language on your phone or something and then you don't know where the language settings are to change them back it was that but in Minecraft um, and then the last thing that I, th I thought was po possibly the highlight of the stream in the end was uh, people donated over a certain amount. They got to rebind my controls for five minutes and they could choose one key or uh, mouse button, as it turned out, to rebind to whatever else they wanted. And at one point, I was jumping using the number nine, which meant that pressing the space bar gave me the nine slot on the hot bar, which is usually food. So every time I wanted to jump, instead I put a golden carrot in my hand. Um, right, right click was rebound to the letter J, so I had to build using J and eat using J. Um, and if I wanted to use a bow, I was having to reach over to the keyboard instead of using the mouse. And my forward and backward controls were reversed. So every time I pressed W, I went backwards. And that happened for about five minutes of the stream. And there's a couple of clips that I've put in the show notes this week, but it was so fun. Um, 
I, I honestly recommend if there there are crowd control mods out there for people to kind of spawn in stuff for you to fight or give you extra items and that kind of stuff. So if you want to go the whole hog with it, look into those. But if you just want to have a weird donation incentive for a charity thing and you're a Minecraft streamer, honestly, give chat control over what gets rebound to what for a couple of minutes in the stream and utter chaos but hilarity ensues. Um, but all in all, we managed to raise a huge amount of money and I've got, I, I owe people a bunch of different, like, themed streams now that I've decided I was going to do as part of, like, the milestone goals for this fundraising thing. So, uh, that's what I've been doing this weekend. All in all, uh, that all revolved around me having finished the early game exhibits at the museum now. So, I'm now I'm working on tying it all together with the main hall that is themed around the Ender Dragon skeleton that I'd built before. So, we're starting to put the walls in there and figure out where entrances go and how people are going to get around the museum from there before I move on to exhibits that are more about the nether and the end and all of the extra resources that you can get further afield. Nice. Very, very cool. I, uh, Wolf Machina is uh, somebody that I follow on, on Twitch. Um, not family-friendly, just FYI for folks listening, but one of the fun things that he's done that's very similar to that, uh, which I think he just does in his regular streams, not, not, not necessarily like charity stuff, but he has like a voice thing that's uh, part of his mixer. So he just has programmed a couple of different voices and for the right donation, people can change his voice for three to five minutes. Sure. So he gets like and helium voice for a minute or that. Kind yeah, of, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That kind of thing. And there's silly stuff, but there's one that I thought was really funny where uh, he changed his voice to sound like a woman, uh, uh -huh. except for it doesn't sound silly and like obvious. It's actually like, wow, that's convincing. <laughs> and so mm -hmm. it's really strange for a little bit that he actually sounds like a girl. And, and um, he, and then he's just like, he he almost gets used to it because of course he monitors his voice in his in in his earphones and it's just it's a it's a very strange for him apparently and i was like yeah that would be very weird <laughs> to yeah. hear yourself you know as as a with your voice you say something but then something else comes into your ears like that would be very very strange so what have you been up to in minecraft this week what's uh what's been the the progress on the the wheat mill still Yes, actually, well, progress has been pretty much wrapped up, honestly. Uh, I There's a few little um, bits here and there that need to be tied up, um, but I put in quite a bit of time because I've been really enjoying this build. And it's one of those things where, like, yes, it's a lot of work and there's a fair amount of detail that goes into it. And that's kind of where I'm at, where, like, it would be a three-hour stream and I would have a fence, <laughs> you know, at the, yeah. at the end of it. Mm -hmm. Granted, it's a long fence, but, like, the little things of, like, wanting to do not a straight line, have grass and stone. And I decided that I wanted to not have a full stone wall, but instead have a broken stone wall that's been patched with a regular wood fence. So it's a little bit more complicated and it's a lot more trial and error, which takes an awful lot longer. Uh, but in the end, I felt like it was it was worth it. Uh, there was also a lot of wheat that had to be placed uh, and, and a lot of, um, I guess, crop design. I'm not sure what you want to say, but the crop rows had to be kind of figured out. Uh, and as we mentioned last time, you know, talking about um, connecting your builds and not being able to do something until something else is finished, uh, I realized that as I wanted to do uh, a crop field that was bordering on the river, that the river was still default Minecraft generation, which is all kind of all over the place. So yeah. I realized that one of those streams, like, well, for the next hour, looks like we're going to be doing some riverscaping <laughs> because, mm -hmm. because this, this is not the edge of the river that I want to work with. We have to change this. And so you lose you know, an hour and a half landscaping, like in the blink of an eye. 
Um, but in the end, I think it was all worth it. Uh, I'm really happy with the way that the, the wheel turned out. It looks good now that the water wheel is underwater. You know, we can waterlog blocks now. It's been a few years since I've built a water wheel uh, in Minecraft. So being able to do it and actually fill it in so it looks like it's underwater and everything's, you know, waterlogged and doesn't have weird water edges and stuff to it. Um, was super fun. Uh, everything reads from a distance, which I thought was good. And uh, I've actually added in another angled bridge because apparently I'm either getting good at these or I just hate my life. I haven't decided <laughs> which. Uh, the The hardest part I find still is trying to figure out the right height for the different platforms and have it make making it look like a natural arch rather than like a really big bow, you know, kind of like in the middle of a river. Yeah. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm starting to get the hang of these angled builds. And it, part of it is training your brain to forgive stuff that looks wonky. Yeah. Because it's just like, you're like, nope, I just have to continue the pattern. I did it like this on one side and it just, it's going to look funky on the other. And I, I've decided to just kind of commit to these happy accidents of like well i decided to build the bridge at a two by one angle it's roughly 20 degrees 21 degrees something like that mm -hmm. uh the next time i do an angled bridge i'm going to try it on a three by one angle to see if that's easier harder better worse like whatever so i'm kind of using it as an excuse to kind of like learn as i go um but i'm really happy with the way that the canal worked out and uh man it's a lot different now doing the texture along like the bottom of a riverbed you know like we used to have to do like uh not puzzle well puzzle i guess sometimes people would use soul sand before it would create bubbles everywhere mm -hmm. uh and then you'd have to do um i use mushroom block and light gray terracotta and a bunch of other things and they don't you don't really need it as much anymore now that we have seagrass like now yeah. that you can just put seagrass everywhere, it's much faster to to texture and make a river or canal that you've made look lived in and alive uh, without having to do a whole lot to it. Uh, also, a lot of the stuff I did before was only about one block deep uh, or very small. And this is a large canal and it's two blocks deep. And so I find that I didn't have to do as much to the bottom of it because you really can't see the bottom of it very well. I don't know whether that's a, a change with with. 113 back when they changed that with the the fog and the water is is harder to see through but um either way i'm pretty happy with it i even went as far as to come up with like a wheat grind wheel build on the inside of the cellar so mm -hmm. it's all connected so if minecraft would let us turn something the the water wheel would in theory turn a series of pistons and, and grind and gears that would eventually grind the the wheat down into into meal and then flour and stuff like that so it was a lot of fun I, I really enjoyed the build that's nice and yeah like i think for the sense of immersion it helps to actually have something on the inside of a building like that to make it feel mm -hmm. like it's it's functional and i totally get what you mean about having seagrass in there i think one of the things seagrass even adds that you might you might not realize like at first glance if you're just kind of the, the average casual player but it's motion in the water like the idea yeah. that the seagrass is being moved around by currents of whatever kind and water in minecraft has such a flat appearance all of the time because the game doesn't generate flowing water except from those odd single water sources that you get in caves that rivers can always seem so static and i think seagrass really lends to the idea that the water is in motion it's just all happening under the surface and so, yeah, I think if you don't run with shaders that change the water texture so it actually looks like there are waves happening, which, again, doesn't always look as realistic in rivers as it does in oceans, then, uh, yeah, I think seagrass really lends a lot to that effect. 
I did add a waterfall and like flowing water to my last water wheel build uh, in the Dartmouth Meadows, but it involved lowering the water level of the river beyond it by a block. Yeah. And it uh-huh. was incredibly tedious. And I was yeah, like, well, painful. I can't. Yeah. Yeah, the, the river here is much larger. And I was like, no, I'm not doing that this time around. But uh, I, I guess the only thing that you could do that would be a little bit different, which, which would be neat, is like if you happen to have some sort of like man-made lock system and your original starting water was like two or three blocks higher than, than the river that it's flowing into or something, then that could have been cool. You could have some actual flowing water, waterfalls, things like that. Waterscaping is one of those things that I really want to do more of in future. Mm. And like I've, I've, I've mentioned a couple of times on the show before how I think that Minecraft could really do with having more dynamic rivers, rivers that actually start on higher elevations and move down throughout the terrain. And mm-hmm. I think adapting that to have like a, yeah, a system of locks if you've got a canal or something like that, I think would be really fun. But... I just want to do more naturalizing of Minecraft's rivers and try and work them into the landscape a little bit more effectively. It's the kind of thing that I don't always have time to do and doesn't always make for a great tutorial because it's a longer project, but I think it's the kind of thing that can be really rewarding if you're looking for a more natural-looking Minecraft landscape. Yeah, and to go even beyond that, I've got some ideas for like an elven city kingdom in this medieval fantasy world and i want to do some like aqueduct stuff like so maybe have some ice mountain lake that's the source and then bring this you know the water to the city through this really crazy you know immaculate set of aqueducts and things like that you've done something similar like that i think haven't you i've done bits and pieces of it yeah um i i think the aqueduct i built was more functional though because it was bringing villagers down into the central town from oh, a villager right. breeder that i built on a hilltop <laughs> so uh yeah I, I think that that was more just like dumping villagers off where i needed them but disguising <laughs> it as an aqueduct was quite a fun experiment i think it, i would have if i wanted to be realistic i would have made it a lot wider um and and have room for like a much larger flow of water rather than it just being a uh, a one block wide thing um mm-hmm. speaking of water we got some interesting interactions with water coming from this most recent snapshot that came out so let's get into the news uh minecraft java edition snapshot 20w48a was released this week and the main thing it added was dripstone blocks and pointed dripstone pointed dripstone is an interesting one actually it forms a stalactite if placed on the ceiling or a stalagmite if placed on the floor these can be combined to form longer stalactites and stalagmites and they even meet in the middle if you build them up towards each other stalagmites will break if not attached to something below and uh, landing or jumping on a stalagmite will hurt because they are sharp stalactites will fall down if they're not attached to something above and being hit by falling stalactites also hurts Uh, stalactites will drip water or lava if there is lava above the block they are attached to a stalactite with a water source above the ceiling will gradually fill a cauldron with water while a stalactite with a lava source above the ceiling does the same with lava and thrown tridents actually break pointed dripstone causing it to fall so that's uh, kind of an interesting interaction with projectiles Um, There are a few other changes to existing snapshot features, uh, mainly to bundles. So right-clicking a bundle in the inventory now empties one item from the bundle. And if you pick up and right-click the item yourself, you can choose which inventory slot to place it in. Uh, To empty the entire contents of the bundle, you now use it while you don't have your inventory open and it throws the entire contents out onto the floor in front of you. Advanced tooltips will now show how full a bundle is. Candles can now only be placed if there is a solid surface below them, although if the block is broken, the candles will remain there. 
Wearing any piece of leather armor now prevents freezing inside of uh, powdered snow blocks. And there are changes to the texture for amethyst, candles, clocks, and compasses. A couple of small technical changes, uh, including adding a freeze damage game rule that allows players to toggle whether powder snow causes any freeze damage or not. And as usual, there are a bunch of bug fixes with this snapshot, which are listed in the Minecraft.net article we've got linked in our show notes. Coming December 9th of this year, the Howling Peaks DLC will bring new armor, weapons, artifacts, and enemies to Minecraft Dungeons. On December 9th, the Season Pass will also be available. That will give you access to the next four DLC packs as soon as they become available, including Howling Peaks. Each DLC will include new levels, unique items, new parts of the story, and more puzzles and mysteries. Six new enchantments are coming to the game for free on December 9th as well. And sidebar, the uh, cross-play announcement video skins are available in Minecraft Dungeons as well. Very cool, yeah. I'm. Uh, let's touch on the Howling Peaks DLC briefly. I'm excited to just play more Minecraft Dungeons. <laughs> you know, I, I quite enjoy picking it up every now and again. Um, it's kind of a shame, I think, that I, it hasn't really stuck with me as far as uh, endgame stuff lately. Uh, it hasn't had the, the replayability um, that I was hoping for with Apocalypse Plus, mainly because the challenge ramps up so quickly that you eventually just find yourself throwing yourself against a wall and hoping for some of the like slightly better combinations of um you know enchanted enemies and that kind of stuff there are some enchanted enemies that will take you out regardless of what you do um so it's going to be nice to play some some minecraft dungeons content that just expands the the levels and the variety and the enemies and stuff like that so i'm i'm looking forward to getting back into it with howling peaks and yes i will be punching all the things <laughs> i i'm looking forward to getting back into dungeons as well i'm um... I'm probably going to pick up the season pass as I imagine it'll be a, ch a bit cheaper in the long run. I did the same thing. We did the hero edition when it first came out, yeah. which included everything up until the jungle, I think. Yes. Uh, uh, jung jungle Howling... Awakens and Creeping Winter were in the first DLC. Yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Creeping Winter. Right. Um, so then this one is, is like, um, for me, even though I haven't completed the other DLCs, I know I'm going to get to them eventually. So I'm fine with picking up the season pass. Uh, I'm looking to pick up an Xbox Series X and Minecraft Dungeons is part of the Xbox Game Pass or Game Pass Ultimate. Uh, so I'm looking forward to like cloud and cross saves because that means I don't always have to be at the PC if I want to play Dungeons. Like I might be able to just couch surf and, and play and, and keep that save and then continue on maybe on a stream or something like that. Uh, however, uh, I don't believe that Game Pass includes the DLC right? That's just the base game. If anybody in our community knows, let us know. Uh, that's spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. Uh, and uh, yeah, I'd, I'd like to know more about that. I would imagine that it's the, just the base game that's part of the game pass and then you'd have to pick up the DLC. But yeah, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm curious if, if cross saves are in the game, if you're still going to be able to access levels on Xbox that you could on PC if you're transferring your save, because that mm -hmm. would kind of imply that you'd made progress in those levels, but maybe it restricts it to the levels you've unlocked on that device, um, in which case you'd probably still be able to play with the same equipment and stuff, and you'd still be back at the camp because you can't save your progress mid-level. Uh, so maybe it'd work out that you don't get to play the same levels on Xbox that you do on PC if you bought the DLC for PC, but I'm, I'm not entirely certain how all of that's going to shake out, and it's not a situation I will find myself in because I don't own another console that would play Minecraft Dungeons right now. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm looking forward to playing with friends. There's now more friends have access to it, you know, with the cross play and and stuff like that. So there's a lot more people that I could bring in that I think would like the game. They're not Minecraft players, but I know that they would like this kind of dungeon crawler fun. Um, And it just it's also I I know it 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 feels a little bit strange to say it, but it feels like a holiday game. I think it's just because of how bright and colorful it is. Like it just it feels like a fun thing to get together with friends and family with, you know, over the holidays and just like, you know, punch some zombies. For sure. Yeah. So uh, as far as the snapshot goes, we have Dripstone. Uh, Have you had a chance to play around with Dripstone in the snapshots? Have you done much with it already? Uh, just in creative mode, just kind of mucking around for, you know, 20 minutes, uh, to try and wrap my head around it. Uh, it's hard where it's not like, you can't go and find it in the world. Like it doesn't generate naturally yet. So you can't really see how they're putting things together. Um, from a, from a Mojang perspective, uh, I've, I'm on the fence. It looks okay from far away. Uh, but the closer you get to it, the more it just looks like one of those flat, polygon crosses that you see with like grass and saplings and thing yeah and uh i i'm curious i'm sure it's because of a performance reason that they decided to go with this kind of model i still think that it would be better if it was an actual 3d you know pyramid type looking thing uh i think it would it would sell a lot better um and beyond that like i just i i spent more time just kind of trying to figure out what other textures it might go with i don't i don't want to cannibalize our discussion later on um but i i haven't done any snapshot play like i haven't tried a a a survival world yet i'm still waiting to see when more natural generated content will happen like you know um lush caves and dripstone caves and things like that yeah it's funny i saw a reddit post which i'm briefly scrolling through reddit trying to find now where somebody had made a 3d model for stalagmites and stalactites and to be honest, I wasn't entirely convinced. I kind of thought that what Mojang has done with it, with the just the texture kind of informing the shape of everything and the sort of the, the way the blocks are, for want of a better term, lit, the way they're shaded to kind of imply a lighter side and darker side, actually looks quite good in comparison to a 3D model for them. But maybe I'm just a little more biased towards what the programmers are doing, what the artists are doing at, at Mojang, and I didn't really feel like the 3D model looked as good but maybe that's just me um i i kind of i i'm i'm curious about dripstone i'm wondering how useful it's going to be how farmable it's going to be and i think the functionality of it is quite interesting the fact that effectively if it can drip lava from a source block above into a cauldron but that doesn't deplete the lava source then that ends up giving you infinite lava so it's going to be the first time, although it's going to be a slow process to acquire it, that you're going to be able to, you know, have renewable lava in Minecraft. Um, so that's that's potentially game-breaking, or potentially just a new way of getting hold of it. And it does require you to go out and find dripstone. Um, so, so that's potentially going to be another reason to explore the world and a function for this that we never really expected in the first place. I'm looking at the uh, Reddit post that you mentioned, thanks to Jumbo Sale in our live chat, and uh, I think I know why it it doesn't really feel that great is because it's it's uniform. They look like buildings, like it, it makes it look like skyscrapers. Uh, the texture for dripstone in the game is a little bit more uh, natural looking, like it's it doesn't have even edges, like it has chips taken out of it, sort of thing. 
Yeah, the the one I found was actually slightly different to this, and I oh, okay. I, I managed to find it because it was linked in the the other Reddit post. Um, so I'll I'll uh, quickly name the two users. This is MC Jossic on Reddit has made three D pointed dripstone as quickly as they could, and that's the one that you're looking at. That's a little bit more uniform. And then the other one is by Crodatio, uh, and that was 3D stalagmites and stalactites. And those look a little bit more organic. They look a little more like what you would expect from Chisels and Bits mod, um, where there's right. sort of more random chips taken off, and it, it lends itself to a slightly more natural-looking shape. But even that, I feel like, looks a little bit too messy by comparison to uh, mm-hmm. what Mojang has. So I'm... Yeah, I, I'm not convinced. I, I think maybe they could do a good job of it if they wanted to produce their own version of something like this, but it might betray the underlying aesthetic that they're going for in Minecraft anyway, in a way yeah. that having a flat sprite version of it doesn't. Um, but either way, I, I think they do add a certain something to caves. It's it's very interesting working with these sorts of shapes now, and I think the fact that, like other things that you can grow upwards or downwards from surfaces like bamboo, the fact that they change in thickness as you taper them towards a point, and the fact that they can connect in the middle actually lends to some quite interesting, like, different shapes for them. Um, Beyond just the forest of pencils that we've seen previously, I think they actually look quite... they, They add a certain dynamic to caves. And to an extent that I think it might almost feel absent from the rest of minecraft now that these are only going to occur in dripstone caves because they they lend a a little more organic shape to things that are going to feel even more blocky by comparison now yeah yeah i i guess it might inspire people to like take them and put them in other caves and and try to you know if they're doing some cave scaping you know as you're making a cave your own maybe kind of incorporate these and do do different things with them um i'd be curious to see what it all looks like together you know like someone that can grab the geodes the dripstone the lush cave stuff and all the things that come with and then once the player has all that in their inventory like what can be done with all of that at once yeah that that to me would be really interesting i think what's really going to make or break it is going to be what new cave generation looks like and how these generate in caves um lady agnes did post a tweet earlier in the week about lush cave generation and that had a section of cave that was almost like a horizontal ravine it was just kind of like a a horizontal slice had been taken out of this rock that had a fairly low hanging roof but a very wide and very deep structure to it that included a lush cave but i thought was a really interesting style of cave generation um so yeah there's there's potentially some interesting caverns and stuff like that on the way that would suit dripstone a little more or alternatively that dripstone could make quite treacherous given that it has the mechanic of you falling on it and it dealing damage that seems to be limited by um the amount of i I think it multiplies the amount of fall damage you would take maybe by falling onto it because i think just jumping onto it only did about a heart of damage to me when i was testing it but jumping on it from a greater height i think is going to prove more lethal and uh it it seems to vary depending on uh the height that a stalactite falls from once again if that's going to deal more damage to it and i did some testing for that and right now if it falls from a 23 block height as though you know the entity is taking full damage then it does end up killing something underneath it the average you know zombie villager wandering trader that kind of thing um 
but then if you drop something from six blocks onto the same mob it's not going to deal lethal damage to it so hmm. we're, we're going to see these being used in different ways i think mostly as traps because i don't think there's any way of automatically placing them back in the world once they're broken and they don't seem to be renewable in any sense yet but there that was are... that was my next question about renewability because yeah. of how you know limestone stalactite stalactites and stalagmites are created in real life is you know water drips down and deposits the material and then they gradually build up over time so if they were something that would form if you had water source above one of the uh dripstone blocks then that would be cool but then again like how quickly do you want that to happen to make it feel worth it like and stuff and and it would, it would create some like odd I guess situations, but uh, going back to that that um, screenshot from Lady Agnes about the like the the horizontal kind of like sliced ravine uh, of a lush cave. If you had you have that kind of a, a structure with a dripstone cave, it becomes dense, uh, sort of like how um, basalt deltas or uh, crimson forests become dense and puzzling and like hard to get your bearings in if you just had this giant field of dripstone that would look cool I would think regardless of, of whether it's a 3D texture or not like I think that would still be disorienting as a player yeah definitely if nothing else it lends a lot of atmosphere to caves i think and I, i'm going to talk a bit more about dripstone blocks later when we get into the main discussion because the texture of those i think is kind of challenging and i want to know if uh, our audience thinks that that is a good thing or a bad thing but we'll get more into those later on um as far as textures go though we have new uh clock and compass textures as, as far as the sprites go the sprite held in the hand and in the inventory and I think these look pretty nice, right? I think they, they look like a slightly more polished version that goes more in line with the changes that they made previously to things like iron and gold ingots. They've got like a, a bit more of a natural shine to them in the pixel art now. Yeah, I like that they're going through and kind of like tweaking some of the, the sprites and textures and creating this like continuity of the textures across the board it makes sense because you know, you're making this compass out of gold and when you make it it has this weird yellow texture from like day one minecraft mm -hmm. <laughs> i don't i didn't i haven't played minecraft long enough to know whether the compass texture or the the clock texture has been the same <laughs> since it's since it started yeah uh, but it definitely feels cooler now i want to have this on my wall as opposed to going like eh, i guess i'll leave it up there you know yeah yeah, yeah. No, I, I, th I think it's a, a really nice change. And I, I wonder what else is on the list to be changed at this point, because there are still yeah. a few things that are rocking the old textures, but who knows? Um, we've also I, I kind of liked the old, the, the double candles. I kind of liked that. It was a different profile. It was a different um, silhouette in your inventory. Yeah. It made it, it made it easy to pick out. And it also, I think you mentioned this on the show last time uh, we talked about a snapshot and that the, the fact that there are two candles in the icon suggests to the player that you can put down more than one in, yeah. a, spy, in a space. Yeah, I, I'm kind of surprised by that. I, th I think it may just be because you can only place one at a time, so they didn't want to mislead people into thinking you were placing multiple candles at once. But mm -hmm. yeah, it's, it's, it's a tricky line to walk with that kind of stuff. How much is the the experience of seeing it in the the inventory or in your hand for the first time misleading or you know encouraging the player to try different things and i think if people are able to figure that out with stuff like sea pickles then they'll be able to figure it out with candles um, because mm -hmm. the two seem fairly related in terms of the way they're structured the way they're placed um outside of that i'm kind of surprised by the changes that they've made to candles in terms of placing them because there are so few items that require 
solid blocks underneath them lately, and those that do are functionally linked to the block they're on, right? Like, I think sea pickles, you place them on something because sea pickles should environmentally be attached to something, and then if you break that, then the sea pickle drops off of the block. Whereas with candles, you have to place them on a solid block now, but they still float when a block is removed. I, I don't see the the necessity of that. No, neither do I. I mean, you remember when you couldn't place a pumpkin or a jack-o'-lantern without a block under it? Do remember, <laughs> right. Do you remember how fun that was? <laughs> Spoiler, wasn't fun. No one liked it. Everyone yeah. loves the fact that they changed it so that you don't have to do that anymore. Fence gates, and, uh, same thing, yeah. Yes, yeah. Oh, man, those guardian farms, boof. I, yeah, I, I, I'm glad that they could still float. I'm glad they didn't remove that because that was, I thought, just a cool kind of bonus you know like cool we have candles and oh awesome they float you know harry potter fans rejoice um but i this is going to make it kind of a real pain in the butt uh that you can't just place them by clicking on the side of things you know if you want to have a floating candle or or even if that's just like like for example you've built a table built a shelf and you've put the candle on it and then you've changed your mind and you want to quickly change the trapdoor from oak to spruce well now you're going to have to you know, repeat the process of changing the the candles are going to pop off when you do that. You know, I don't um, think they do because because they're not they're not going to break unless you break the candle themselves no, once right. they're no, once right. they're placed Sorry, in the yeah. world. But yeah, I, I think yeah. the 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 difference here is if like I, I think the only thing they want to avoid is having them placed on certain transparent blocks. But I don't know if I understand the thought process of you know, so you can't place candles on leaves now. But if you want to make it look like the candle is placed on leaves, you place a solid block. You take you you know take the solid block away. Once the candles are placed, you put the leaves back. I don't see the thought process that's gone into limiting that behavior when it can just be worked around. I don't think yeah. that I don't think that really improves gameplay for it as far as the experience goes. I agree. I uh, I do like the operational changes to bundles, though. That seems like yes. a better way to go. Uh, specifically, right-clicking, and I believe it's first-in, last-out, or first-in, first-out? Um, it's last-in, first-out. So, yeah, ba in, okay. basically, yeah, if, if, you put, if the last thing you put in was, like, three bones, the first right-click you do gets those three bones back out. Right. Uh, I like that much better than right-clicking and having the bundle barf in your inventory regardless sure. of whether you have the room for it or not like that to me was negating the problem it was trying to solve mm -hmm. <laughs> in the first place yes um i think they i i mentioned before that i really like the new bundle texture compared to the original one uh and i i find that it has that cool kind of like plump look when it's full and as you empty it and then it's empty and it changes back to the empty texture uh, of the icon uh, the sprite in your hand i like that as well um, like that it's got a tooltip, you know, that it tells you that it's, you know, 32 of 64. Yes, uh, yes. It's a Java only thing, but, you know, like still it's nice to have for those of us that play with, because I don't, that's what I like about that tooltip is that when I'm looking at my pickaxe or my shovel, I can have, a, I have a number that says you are at, you know, 300 of 2000 or whatever, um, rather than like seeing the little red bar going like, am I really dangerous to the end of this peck axe? And go like, no, I've got 500 left. I'm fine. Yeah. Like that kind of stuff is, it's going to be nice to know with the bundle at a, at a quick glance. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, that, that, was, that was the point I made last time was if we have you have 36 items in a bundle, you can still fit 28 things in there, but the little graphical bar could look like, oh, I don't have enough space for 20. So, yep. you know, just knowing the exact number means that if I have 27 lapis in my inventory, I can put it in a bundle and still have space for one more thing in there if I want to. I think it, it just makes sense to have the mathematical data for want of a better word, uh, just to kind of to, to be able to uh, to see that at a glance without having to rely on the graphical bars that can change depending on your GUI size and all of that stuff can throw you off. And yeah, like you, I do like being able to click items into specific slots in my inventory. Having used it a couple of times now, I think it's probably a better decision and you still get the ability to empty an entire bundle if you want to throw everything onto the ground and then just walk over it to pick it all back up. So that's not really much of an extra step i think the new complaint is now what if the thing i want is the first thing i put into the bundle <laughs> because of mm. course people are never satisfied you know like i saw somebody make the argument that you know if i put some if i'm clearing up all of the bits and bobs after a build and i've got like three oak stairs and some fences and then some trap doors and bits and pieces that i've used to detail a build if i realize oh i need to get those oak stairs again now i have to go through everything that i've just put in there in order to take out just the oak stairs and my response to that would be plan better, you know? Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So like, my response is, um, well, Mojang's response is use a shulker box. Yeah, uh, exactly. Like My response is that if you're at that stage of the game, those aren't the only three oak stairs you have. Yeah. <laughs> like you, yeah just, that... you just have to go get the other ones. I do that out of pure laziness anyway. <laughs> like, yeah. I'll put, the, I'll put the stairs in the storage room on the other side of the farm and then realize I need four more stairs, I will just make more stairs on the spot yeah. <laughs> before I will walk over and get the other stairs. Uh, I, I I think too that having it be something that you can empty out onto the ground like that uh, is a partway solution for what I was concerned about like was trying to store these things without having to manually, you know, place everything into a chest or a box or something. And um, as someone that has a number of sorting systems on the server, if you have the right kind of hopper setup that can handle that many items being dumped at once uh, or that many different items being dumped at once, then you can potentially just walk up to your, you know, storage system input area and just be like, just barf the stuff out of the bag, keep the bag in your inventory. You don't have to worry about dropping the bag into your shulkers, into your system by accident. You can just dump it, turn around and go and then yeah. just let your sorting system do the rest, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's, it seems like a sensible change, and I think there are still, like, a whole laundry list of things that you could do with bundles that would make them a little bit more user-friendly, like being able to right-click and drag everything into different slots in your inventory, for example. It, it really depends how many features they want to load into bundles to kind of give players everything they possibly want before it just becomes so much effort for one feature right so mm. i don't know if anyone's ever going to be entirely happy with bundles but i think for what they are they're pretty good and somehow people are still saying well i would use a shulker box instead and i still shake my head at those people and i'm actually thinking about making a video at some point this week that collects all my thoughts on how bundles can and should be used and are maybe intended to be used uh, so yeah. that we can clear up some of these misconceptions people still have about where you're expected to get bundles and and how you're expected to use them. Yeah, I think the big thing right now is that people are looking for them to be better than shulker boxes, and that's yeah. not going to happen. Like mm -hmm. it's just they're they're not that level. They're they're the other side of it. They're they're in between when you don't have a shulker box and then when you do. Like they're at the early stage, I think. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, I I agree. Before we move on to email, what do you think of the new amethyst textures? 
Uh, I think the fact that you can now have it, there's now a cross sort of shape uh, with the um, budding amethyst makes it a little bit clearer than it was previously because previously the amethyst clusters grew out from a fairly small section of the texture as far as like there, there was like a slightly darker section in the middle and it wasn't always clear which was budding and which wasn't if I was taking down the entire contents of the inside of a geode which I did once in my uh, snapshot test world just to see how much amethyst you would get out of it and mm. occasionally I found myself almost breaking a block of budding amethyst because I couldn't quite tell the difference at a glance this one I think I could tell the difference at a glance a lot more clearly um and yeah as far as the general texture of amethyst goes i think it's been through a few iterations now i haven't particularly disliked any of them do you have a preference when it comes to those i will agree with you on the budding amethyst uh and i watched your video that you made and i loved the little point that you made about the fact that when a crystal grows on it it then creates like this darker shadow underneath the crystal. Yeah, it, it grows so all... in that cross shape to begin with. Right? Yeah, and and so it adds a shadow without there being shaders. Like it just it it's it's got a function and also a fashion to it, which I quite liked. Yeah, uh, and I and I agree with you on on the higher contrast, easier to spot. It looks like a unique kind of Minecraft block. You know, like it doesn't it doesn't look like just a rock. It's like oh, that's a cool thing that does something funky in Minecraft. You know, uh, and I like that. I, the only thing I would say is that um, the amethyst blocks, I think this is the highest contrast version of the regular amethyst blocks. And I, like you, don't dislike any of them, but this one is going to be harder to work with, I think, because of how sharp it is. But again, maybe that's the intent of having something that's meant to be stark. Uh, similar to how glazed terracotta they're really neat. They're just hard to work with because they're very high contrast. And and this this in particular is also quite high contrast. So we'll see. You know, I just it's it's one of those things that I, I need time with. And I am looking forward to getting into like a snapshot test world. I not normally something I do, but I with one seventeen I think it's gonna be really, really interesting. Yeah, and I once again, I have some more thoughts on textures that are easy or hard to use, but we'll get to that mm -hmm. in the main discussion. Uh, let's move on to email for now though. Sounds like a plan. If you'd like to email the show, that email address is spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. And while we really appreciate all the enthusiasm in the chunk mail inbox, if you'd like your email read on the show, please keep it brief. Uh, best to tackle one point in a single email, unless again, your email is to the point, like the double O squirrel, a landscape artist member in our discord. And the subject for this one is Minecraft dungeon events and mob vote confusion. Hey, Joel and Johnny, longtime landscape artist here with one big question and one small one. Due to, uh, do you think they are going to do more with Minecraft Dungeons themed events, similar to the recent-ish Halloween event? Good examples for this could be a Christmas themed event, which I'm personally hoping for, or some kind of Easter event in the spring or whatever summer themed holidays you can think of. If so, do you think these would contain unique items and thematic daily trials like the Halloween one did uh, as a way to add more play value to the game for players who don't have the DLC? Secondly, something I have felt was lacking in clarification during the mob vote was, are we definitely getting all three of the mobs in Minecraft or just choosing which came first? Or do they all have a chance to get in just like the glow squid made it only barely grr team isolager uh, proper thing. Uh, I've heard people say both. 
Hope this email was concise enough. Yes, it was. And thanks to you both for making a wonderful podcast with uh, which has made bus journeys nicer for me for more than a year now. And double thanks to Joel, TCC listener as well. Che Stunky. I had to read that slowly. <laughs> <laughs> well played. Well played, Double O Squirrel. Um, I'm going to chime in quickly on the Dungeons stuff because I think I'd like to see Dungeons continue, but I think I'd like to do... I'd like to see them do their own holidays. Like, don't go with traditional holidays, which can be... Uh, either inclusive or or exclusive depending on where you are in the world um in world of warcraft when i was playing that game years ago uh they made up their own stuff it would coincide with holidays in the real world but there were things like Brewfest in the fall and winter veil which would be christmas ish you yeah. know in in winter time uh so you know turn easter into some sort of egg chicken related event you know something like that would be fun or focus on the seasons like spring winter summer fall rather than quote unquote holidays, I think would be fun. Um, I feel like things like, you know, uh, how like the short, the short days and the long dark of winter could be cool for dungeons, you know, like more, more nighttime stuff happening. Uh, summer, I'm not sure you could do some like desert stuff maybe, or just thinking about like hot weather and things like that. But then again, like it depends on what hemisphere you're in as to how that applies. So. Yeah. And you also have, um levels that are already themed around that kind of stuff like what does a summer event look like in the creeping winter dlc levels you know right like pumpkin pastures always looks like fall more or less so mm-hmm. i feel like you know reskinning that level could be kind of fun but it, it still might seem a little strange um i think they are planning on doing more minecraft dungeons events it seems like they went into it with an idea for a few different ones but I think, honestly, Halloween is probably the easiest theme for a combat-based game to explore, right? Like, it's nice and easy to add a a spooky update to a game that already features zombies and skeletons as antagonists. Um, And I feel like stuff like Easter doesn't always have strong thematic hooks unless you want to, like, implement the killer bunny in dungeons, you know? So I I feel like, yeah, you're you're right along the right lines when it comes to inventing their own sort of holidays and while i'm certain they probably don't want to mess too much with minecraft lore i don't think there is a great deal of minecraft lore that exists around what holiday traditions are in minecraft so it might be fun to create some stuff like that and see if it sticks with players um i remember destiny doing the same thing destiny's halloween festival was called festival of the lost and it was the same kind of deal right it's kind of a little bit more spiritual um yeah i i think I think they can do a lot with it. It's just how it's applied and how it kind of fits with the existing stuff. I think Halloween was a shoe in The rest of them are going to be a little bit more tricky to explore. Um, as for the second point in this email, the, the clarification for the mob vote, um, you actually got a response to this in the 25-minute Ask Mojang video that they put out recently uh, after the Caves and Cliffs announcement when everybody wanted some more clarification on various things and they were answering community questions. They said that, um, and this isn't a direct quote, but I'm paraphrasing, uh, the other two mobs are basically put back in a big bag of ideas that they have and could be introduced in future, but only if it feels right to include them. So um, the Glow Squid was just one of three. The Moo Bloom and the Isologer still exist in other games in the Minecraft, you know, the broader Minecraft universe. Um, their, their respective games of origin are still there. So you can still play Minecraft Earth for a Bloom. You can still play Minecraft Dungeons for the Isologer. Um, so it's not like the 2017 mob vote where they're all just thrown out and never to be seen again. But I think 
the idea is that if they expand flower forests in future and the Moo Bloom seems like a good addition then, sure, maybe they'll bring the Moo Bloom back. Maybe they'll decide it's, you know, worth implementing at that stage. Likewise, if they expand tundras some more, maybe the Isologer fits in better there than it would as part of the mountain update when they want people to go and explore mountains. So I think the ideas are still on the table for the future, but it's not confirmed that they're definitely going to be added to the game. I think Mojang is just kind of playing it by ear and seeing what comes up, seeing whether there are other original ideas that pop up that are a hundred times better than those in the meantime, or if the Isolager and the Moobloom are going to be good fallbacks for if they want to add something to add a little extra value in future. Yeah, I think that it's a it's a time resource thing. Like, I mean, if, if, if there's only so much time of the day and, and so much work that can be done on uh, versions of Minecraft before it has to be released. And I think that the player base is going to dictate, you know, what's important. If there's a lot of people, you know, if say, for example, if, if things come out and, and bundles are not great and they have to go back and revisit them at some point, that's going to take priority over a Moobloom, you know, like, and just, yeah. and they kind of have to gauge like what, what is the most important thing for the game? And, uh, you know, as far as the mob goes, you know, everybody voted for the glow squid. So that's what they'll focus on. And I, I, I they might add something like the Isolager, but unless it's really needed or it's something that people are crying for, then I, I, I see them just kind of like getting to it when it makes sense, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Much like the other biome updates that they've mentioned in the past, those are still planned to be included, but at an uh, as yet undetermined date. So it's going to be worth sticking around to see if they uh, they show up in future. Uh, the next email comes in from Cesorum, and the uh, subject is automating copper oxidization. Uh, Hi, Joel and Picks. I have a simple solution to offer players to get co- to offer help players get copper blocks to be in the specific state they desire by simply making the oxidation process be dependent on a factor such as skylight level. We can control at which stage the copper will stop oxidizing naturally, so we can go and wax the blocks without worrying about missing that stage. I feel like this solution would make sense, as it requires the blocks to be exposed to a certain level of skylight, meaning it's outside and facing the elements. We can use observers to detect how many oxidation states have passed, then cover the block to remove skylight so that state is preserved until waxing. This would allow players to build AFK copper fields without worrying about missing the oxidation state that they want. Curious about your thoughts, Cezora. Uh Yeah, it's it's an interesting one because I imagine Mojang has envisioned copper oxidation to happen in a different way to how players are now envisioning it will happen because players are imagining working with the full color palette of copper blocks from their inventory rather than placing down a bunch of copper blocks and letting them age naturally in whatever shape you've given them i think that's the that's the thing mojang are after is players building with these things with the foresight of well that's going to age eventually and i'll check in on it when i want to preserve it versus players thinking well this is basically a resource that i have to generate by leaving it out in the open and then once I've collected up all of these weathered blocks, that's when I start actually building with them. And it's an interesting distinction. Like, do you see yourself, Joel, do you see yourself uh, like laying out a bunch of copper blocks so that they change color before you'd end up building anything with them? 110%. Yeah. Yeah, because Minecraft is a game that gives the player control over just about anything. And this is 
a step back in another direction and it's a thing that players are not used to and i'm yeah. generalizing i'm not I, I can't speak for everyone but I, that's the the feeling that i'm getting is that the blowback is is saying like but i don't want it i don't want to wait around and have to try to figure out when i come back and which block is going to change first and like do i have to remember which side of the roof that i did first because that's going to change first and like all that kind of stuff is just like i don't necessarily want to micromanage that when i'm playing minecraft and i think Cezorum's idea is actually a decent one you know like i i think that having it be the elements quote unquote uh that affect the uh the oxidation of copper it gives players and technical players and and it doesn't sound like it'd be super super hard to do um another thing to build you know like people love building farms and that i you know a lot of the, the circles that i travel in in minecraft and it just it offers more gameplay by changing it to be this kind of mechanic it gives those that want the control the ability to do it without having to do anything cr like crazy uh, and then those that do could just build a really large copper farm. You know, like if if you want to do it that way, then you can. Um, but just having that control would be would be great because you could totally lay out, you know, a couple dozen blocks. You know, when they change the right thing, you just you shut the the skylight off, and then you've got them. You wax them, and you're and you're good. Uh, yeah. it's still gonna be a lot of work. It's even even with this mechanic, it's still gonna be a lot of work. I'd be okay with it though. Um, but yeah, I don't I don't see myself using it in the way unless the intended color is the final one at which point i'll just place it and forget about it yeah sure sure yeah it's it, it's about the precision of going in and making sure you've got all four different types of copper that is potentially mm -hmm. throwing people here and i think it does make sense a lot of what people are proposing makes sense with regards to player factors that can influence the speed or the uh you know the stage of oxidation in some sense is that you know exposing it to water exposing it to the open air all of that stuff allows oxidation to take place at whatever speed and then players are able to swoop in and collect it when it's the right sort of time i, I think those are those are good solutions i think to the problem and i don't know how difficult they would be to code but i think if mojang is planning to give players that much control over it then they seem like sensible things to implement but i yeah i kind of wonder if mojang wants us to think outside the box when it comes to that stuff and 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 build with it more with the sense of this is a copper roof now and it will be a weather copper roof later rather than working with the blocks from scratch and it's and it's an interesting butting of heads between the the developers working on a feature and obviously being minecraft players themselves but the methods that players typically use when they want to build with this kind of material being let me get all of the blocks ahead of time instead of relying on these blocks to change later um, i think the issue there is that if you want it to be this is a copper roof now this is a weathered copper roof later then they should change the final texture to not be perfect mm -hmm. right because that's what people want they want to be able to control the level of erosion or oxidation that they can see in the roof they're you know folks that are really artistic with this kind of stuff they're going to want to put the semi-weathered stuff in the nooks and the crannies where it's not going to get as much light or as much exposure and then the stuff that's been sun beaten and and exposed and bleached is going to be the bright blue you know on the end you know like that's the kind of control that people i think are looking for and you're not going to get that if you just make the whole roof copper eventually the whole roof is just going to be weathered copper and, and bright turquoise yeah 
I can think of a couple of interesting solutions to, if not having a uh, a method of blocking the oxidation from taking place, but certainly a way of alerting the player when a stage of oxidation has taken place. And it goes back to uh, some stuff I've seen Etho and some other players on Hermitcraft using recently where a redstone mechanism will trigger a trap door to close on an enderpearl that's suspended in a column of water because you can throw an enderpearl into a bubble column and effectively just leave it there and then when the enderpearl impacts with something which can be a trap door triggered by a redstone mechanism you get teleported back there and so all you have to do is set up these fields of copper in your spawn chunks or somewhere that's going to be loaded permanently and then set up an observer as Cezorum suggested in the email to detect when it changes state and then have that teleport the player using this enderpearl back to your copper field so that you know, okay, all of this stuff is going to have aged in the short while I've been away. Right. And then you can whack stuff then. So I think there are still effective solutions without messing too much with the copper aging process. It's just whether or not they want players to have any other measures of control over how fast copper oxidizes. It's going to be interesting yeah. to find out, I think. And I think too that, uh, and this is a specific Java thing, but like data packs, like you can just make custom recipes. Yeah, you know, abs you, absolutely. If you, if you really just want, you know, wax copper of, of type A, B, C, or D, because I don't remember all the names, uh, you just make it. I mean, I have custom recipes for all, a bunch of different stuff. They're all things that are vanilla blocks. It's just that sometimes for players that have less time, it, it just makes it a little bit easier. Things like uh, a popular one is, is renewable coral, being able to, uh, make coral blocks from the coral plants so that you don't have to destroy coral reefs because they're very pretty, right? And I and I think that that's something that you might see is is servers that are just like, no, you know what? We just, none of this is going to be something that works for our style and our gameplay ability. So we'll just add a you know a, maybe a challenging recipe that's not the easiest thing to make. You know, implement wax or something. You know. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely a few different options for players and we'll see what Mojang ultimately settles on. Let's get into our roundtable discussions, though, because we had a couple of things that some of which are actually pretty heavily related to the Caves and Cliffs update. So I think we're we're staying on topic for the most part. Uh, do you want me to start or do you want to do you want to go first? Uh, let, let's finish up with my point because it kind of goes back around to what we were talking about in the in the notes. So let's cover your uh, your topic first. Sure. Uh, this is about abandoned mine shafts and uh this month on the round table i got the idea from zero fox another landscape artist patron that wrote in uh, with a longer email about one of the things that they feel is missing from the caves and cliffs update so far that we know about and i'll read a snippet from the email now as someone playing minecraft at endgame often playing on limited time i want to get resources fast and efficiently i don't care much for caving personally but with the new update i'm very intrigued to grab my spelunking gear once again if moyang is trying to encourage the player to go out mining and exploring the world maybe they should also update the abandoned mineshaft it's one of the features that i used to get really excited about finding when I first started playing. Nowadays I go, eh, and I mine straight through it. Even the early game player, the mine shafts don't offer much, uh, just the occasional golden apples, some extra rails, a few seeds, and of course, the headache of cave spiders and cobwebs. Keep doing what you're doing, guys. Love the podcast. Zero Fox was poked to death by a sweet berry bush. <laughs> the the sign-offs are getting cheekier every time, I think. There's going to there's gonna reach a critical mass where we'll have to put our foot down and be like, all right, that's that's enough. You've had your fun. 
Yeah, exactly. Uh, to summarize ZeroFox points uh, from the email, uh, they suggested adding mining hubs to abandoned mine shafts, uh, a treasure room of sorts found by following a trail or puzzle of shafts or rails, uh, some of which would lead you to dead ends and you'd have to try to find the right route to find the actual uh, treasure hub. Mm -hmm. uh, this would also include things like enchanted tools, TNT, ore blocks, useful loot rather than a golden apple. Um, booby trap, of course, would be would be cool. Things like uh, gravel cave-ins, you know, uh, mimicking real-life cave cave-ins, explosions, TNT traps, that kind of thing. Think about the kind of traps that you'd see in like a jungle temple or desert sure. temple, that kind of yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so the question that they posed, of course, was how would you, how would we want to uh, improve abandoned mine shafts? And I have a couple of quick thoughts. Um, new blocks, old wood. Abandoned mine shafts offer oak planks and fences uh, while handy, uh, and you can get dark oak and dark oak fences in mesas. Most people already have enough oak by the time they find a mine shaft, unless you stumble upon one right away. Uh, and if you do, chances are it's not going to be the easiest thing to tackle because early game you don't have enough gear to you know fight everything down there. Uh, adding in a gray beaten up weathered wood variety would be one, I think something a lot of people would want. Uh, and if you had it only be something that you can find in the abandoned mine shafts it would be uh, a great addition to the game and i feel it would make sense that the ba abandoned mine shaft that's been there for ages currently it's filled with brand new oak wood and so having that look a little bit weathered or a lot weathered actually i think would go a long way uh, alternatively you could have the wood in the shaft be dependent on the biome and maybe not the same as the biome for example we get the dark oak in mesas that's great if you're in a mesa and you're nowhere near a dark oak forest you have access to a cool block that you didn't think you were going to have uh, or things like maybe birch in deserts or jungle in swamps in terms of what wood the mine shaft is made of in those biomes it might make it a little bit easier rather than going farther afield to find stuff uh, again i know mojang wants people to explore but it's it's for me like i always seem to have enough oak i don't necessarily need all the oak that's in a mine shaft um while increasing ore resources out of the walls would also be a good uh, addition i feel uh, i don't mind working for my loot but i don't necessarily see a lot of cool stuff in abandoned mine shafts it's just some coal and some iron it seems to be whatever it mine it, it kind of generates through i could be wrong maybe there's more in it but i don't feel like it's kind of like ooh, exciting it's just like okay i got an extra bit of iron it doesn't really change the game for that much for me and in terms of mobs instead of the same cave spider in every abandoned mine shaft what about just something as simple as making the spawners that appear in an icy mine shaft make strays what about drowned spawners in underwater mine shafts that kind of thing i think could add a lot of spice to it uh and if we're gonna go crazy town spider boss every <laughs> you know cave thing in a in a you know minecraft or or um what's the word i'm looking for adventure type game there's always spiders it's always always a spider even just this year the mandalorian spiders um they're not my cup of tea uh but you know like i feel like you could probably do right by having a big spider boss maybe it's guarding the treasure hub that zero fox mentioned like th those are just kind of like some gut reactions for improving a mine shaft like what what's your experience with them like d d how did you fold them into the survival guide uh i think i ended up exploring them early on i found an abandoned mine shaft quite 
close to the sort of first mine that I ever made in that world. So I think I covered them early and haven't really returned to them since because, like you said, they're, they're sort of always the same, more or less. Except, like you said, in, in mesas you get dark oak wood, but there's no functional difference between many abandoned mine shafts. I think the only real reason to return to them is for the chance of a golden apple because uh, if you want enchanted golden apples... Um, mine shafts are some of the only places you can get them, and they generate more or less everywhere. If you've been under the surface of the world with spectator mode switched on, you normally see an abandoned mine shaft in any area that you're kind of spectating. So they are pretty common, it turns out, especially under ocean biomes. I think they they are typically generated under there a little bit more, or if not, it's just easier to find them because there is less cave terrain above that. Um, so I think there's there's something to be said for the stuff that you've suggested, like the the old wood thing. I like the idea of there being mossy wood, especially under oceans. I think that seems like a a fun way of having more wood variants in the game that aren't really easily farmable in the same way that mossy cobblestone wasn't very easily farmable until you got vines involved. And so I think it could be kind of fun to have, like, yeah, an, an old beaten up wood and maybe something that has to be silk touched, otherwise it just kind of crumbles into dust and breaks maybe something like that could could make it a little bit more rare and interesting to find. I like the idea of there being more ores, and maybe ores at different elevations than you would normally find them. You're slightly more likely to find diamonds up to maybe Y20 or 24, perhaps, in an abandoned mineshaft, just to encourage the players to explore them a bit more. I think the advantage to them right now is not having to dig out as many blocks to see exposed sections of the walls, especially at yeah. lower elevations. You don't have to do as much digging to find larger veins of resources. But you're right, I think, in that most of the resources that spawn in abandoned mine shafts are really just there because they were there as part of world generation and the mine shaft has gone through that. Um, so yeah, I, th I think there could be a little bit of aesthetic improvement to them they they do look like early game minecraft in in the sense of like they've been around and relatively unchanged since quite an early version of the game and the only changes we've seen to that has been the the variant that you find in in mesas now and i guess yeah they've been out since beta 1.8 in java edition so they're they're, they're pretty old structures could maybe do with a, a shake up in the same way that villages have recently I think the main thing we're going to see changing from mineshafts is what biome they generate in as far as the cave biomes go. Because if we're going to have lush caves and dripstone caves and stuff, what is that then going to do to the landscape of a mineshaft? Is it going to be neat seeing those incorporated into those biomes? And is the, the mineshaft growing over mossy in one area going to indicate, oh, there's a lush cave coming up? Or is the mineshaft going to generate after those biomes and is it going to end up just looking, sticking out like a sore thumb in the middle of a lush cave that's otherwise moss and clay and vines everywhere? Is mm. the mineshaft going to generate after that and feel kind of forced in? Um, so I'd like to see them better incorporated with the cave biomes around them given the chance, but we still don't know how that's going to work. Um, I know in the nether update, they changed the location at which a nether fortress could start to spawn. And then it would reach out and breach the other biomes, but it was only able to spawn in one or two of the nether biomes rather than all of them. Yeah. And that might be the case with um, abandoned mine shafts going forward. Maybe they will only spawn in regular 
Minecraft terrain, but they will be able to then breach into lush caves or geodes or whatever. Yeah, I would love to see abandoned mine shafts leading to a geode as though that's what they were mining for to begin with. Because mm -hmm. I think a lot of the time mine shafts are just presumed to be looking for general resources, but if there was something at the end of the line, like if it was more likely for a geode to be the terminus of one of those mineshaft tunnels, then that'd make me want to explore it until I found that. And and signposting that stuff in the same way that uh, we know lush caves are going to be signposted by azalea trees, I think is a really appealing idea. So I would hope that they could do something like that. Maybe not even in this update, because the update is focusing more on terrain generation and caves, but abandoned mineshafts as a structure could be incorporated into that very well. So what uh, what would you like to talk about this week? This week, uh, going back to what we were saying earlier, I'm intrigued by the direction of textures like dripstone. And not just dripstone, um, I'm, I'm talking about stuff like tough, basalt, blackstone. Lately, there have been a lot of blocks added, which I would argue aren't easy to use. Um, they are quite challenging textures to work with, um, and color and texture-wise, they might occupy a certain gap in the color palette, but when I come to work with them, I find that there isn't much else like them, and I find it quite difficult to match them with other blocks and, and, and pair them with a, a broader color palette. And I'm torn on whether this is a good thing or a bad thing. And I know you and I being both builders, we ha we tend to talk a lot about this kind of stuff. So um, on the one hand, I think it is potentially off-putting to players to have a texture which doesn't match easily with at least one or two other blocks. But on the other hand, I think it's a fun challenge. And I think what Mojang is potentially trying to do is challenge players with these harder-to-use textures and get them to think outside the box more, providing something divergent like Dripstone can lead to more players exploring creative uses for these blocks and taking it up as a challenge. Dripstone, to me, looks very odd. It looks like a kind of cave, uh, a cave version of TV static, almost. It's got quite a harsh texture. It's got two colors in it prominently, which are not really found in many other blocks. The best thing I've found to match it with so far is, I think, light gray terracotta, and it sort of goes with the lightly weathered copper, as well. It's got a sort of purpley brown kind of color to it, but then some lighter sections that I thought were going to be reminiscent of things like birch and endstone, but even those feel quite light. Bone blocks don't quite match with it either. And so I'm I'm wondering whether Mojang's intention with this, or even if, you know, it, it is their intention to to challenge players this way, is to try and get us to push the envelope of how we build with some of these things. Um, and I, I'm thinking of like warped and crimson wood as well. Um, th those maybe have existing colors and textures that they blend with well. Like obviously they both have the same, you know, wood plank texture as all of the other wood planks in the game. But next to those planks, they stand out very prominently because they're very bright, saturated colors. And then if you put warped planks next to prismarine it sort of works but again you have a textural contrast there um we don't seem to see anything in recent updates that blends with existing blocks in the same way that say stone and andesite do i think if you put stone and andesite in a wall and you stand far enough away you probably wouldn't be able to tell which was which and i think to some extent that is for the better when it comes to detailing stone walls but in more subtle ways and 
a lot of this it kind of eludes subtlety <laughs> is the best way to put it i think it kind of it, it challenges you to work in a texture that is fairly prominent and stands out on its own and doesn't really pair well with some stuff that could tone it down and so either this stuff is meant to be used when viewed from a distance or we are being challenged to find out how it looks good close up um and I think this challenge can be mitigated somewhat by giving it material diversity. You have polished variants, slabs, stairs, walls, and so forth. And I think that's how Blackstone almost gets by on just the fact that it has a bit more material diversity and a few more block variants. But um, outside of that, we've both said that we've kind of gone on record at this point saying we find the Blackstone texture very noisy. And it certainly doesn't feel like the equivalent of something like natural stone. Uh, so even though it has a more challenging texture, how much can we overlook that for the sake of utility? I, I sort of wonder about this. So I don't know how much time you've spent playing around with dripstone and trying to pair it with other materials, but if you have, I'd be interested to know your thoughts. I reached the same conclusions that you did. You know, the, the closest thing that I found was the light gray terracotta. Um, the issue that I found with it immediately when trying to think of things to pair it with is the fact that not only is it a fairly high contrast, noisy texture, but it's also horizontal yeah. and not directional. So you can't change the way that it goes. Cause like, Oh, this might be kind of cool as like maybe like a retro wallpaper or something. If you wanted to put a border of, of it, but then it's like, well, wait a minute, it goes the wrong way. It should be going up down if I wanted it as um, wallpaper, not horizontally side to side. And um, I, I think for me, these textures, like when you list them out, like Blackstone, Dripstone, uh, there's the newer update when they moved from like the programmer art to like the newer textures uh, around, was it 115 that they did that? Yeah, I think I, no, I think it was the Village and Pillage update. So it was 114. It 114. Was a couple of years ago uh, now. Yeah, they, they they kind of made things look a little bit more modern as far as what most people think pixel art is capable of. Uh, and I feel like some of the new textures like Blackstone and Dripstone are more retro. And that's why one of the reasons I find that I don't like they don't seem to work as well for me. Um, also, I mean, I say it over and over again on the show, but color harmony is a big thing. And a lot of times I'm okay with having a challenging texture in terms of the contrast to it. But if it doesn't go well with anything else as far as a color goes, it becomes really difficult. Because mm -hmm. what you want is something that will, even if it's not the same color, you want something that's going to be in the same family, you know, at the same color temperature. And I find that they just are all over the map with some of this new stuff. And, and it just doesn't seem to to jive well with, with other blocks. And it just, it just, at that point, it stops me thinking of it as being folded into a build. And it just starts being like, well, it just sticks out like a sore thumb. So then I don't use it. You know, and then you just end up, people say like, we want more blocks in Minecraft. And ultimately what people are saying is that we want more usable blocks in Minecraft. Because there's a few that people find difficult to the point where they just don't get used or difficult to the point where they get made fun of and it's become a meme, you know, like diorite, for example. Um, and although I have to say like, you know, diorite and is it calcite? Yeah. I think, or, you know, they work a little bit better uh, um, now. Um, that the calcite has got a new texture. So like there, I mean, there's work to be done and there's still time, you know, things could change obviously. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I don't, you know, it, to me, it's like, I don't 
I'm not, I'm not even sure why it's this brown color. Like it just, you know, like the, I guess they needed something unique for the dripstone caves. They wanted to, when you find a dripstone cave, they want it to stand out against the reams of gray stone andesite and, and even the granite and the diorite that's in regular Minecraft generation. So they wanted you to be able to identify it quickly, I guess. But I like that color, weird purple brown that you mentioned, like that's not the first thing that I think of when I think about a dripstone cave. I think something much closer to like a sandstone or like a, a, a yellow or a, an off-white, you know? Yeah, that's that's what I was thinking really was sandstone being, uh, ha- having this almost as like a transitional block between sandstone and regular stone, having it be like a combination of that slightly kind of pale yellowy color and gray could almost work better than what we have right now. But then, like you say, it, it's whether or not that then stands out in caves. And I think signposting it with this kind of standout color is potentially going to have much more impact when you're looking at it in a cave setting and this comes back to i think what's good about tough is that it really signposts okay there's a geode here by looking while it's still stony very different to the stone types that you find in the rest of caves the problem then is that take it out of its natural setting and it has less value for builders because it doesn't blend very well with materials by design initially, but to its detriment later. So th- there's there's some interesting ground to be trod here. And the, the flip side of this is that I think for pointed dripstone, the texture quite, it works for me. I think it works quite well. And it's whether you then have to contextualize dripstone blocks elsewhere with pointed dripstone to begin with to say okay this is the reason this is here because there is pointed dripstone here as well but i feel like for a full block to blend it it doesn't blend seamlessly with the fact that it's got one of the cross-shaped sprite entity type things on top of it so yeah i i'm i'm curious about this one i think i've seen much more successful use so far of the pointed dripstone than I have the dripstone block. And so if its existence is justified by pointed dripstone, then I'm kind of fine with that because I've seen people use pointed dripstone to design like dinosaur skulls that have proper teeth and stuff like that. But they they look aged because of the dripstone texture and they've even worked some dripstone blocks into that which are which are pretty good. Um, in in the context of it being like a fossilized dinosaur thing that you've dug up but then your natural instinct is to pair that with bones and bone blocks and dripstone texture don't really jive for me and so yeah having tested it against a few other blocks that i thought carried a similar range of color things like granite and polished granite jungle wood the copper blocks even ancient debris and going as far as mycelium with that slightly more purpley color i'm still not entirely convinced that it matches well with very much aside from that light gray terracotta. So I'm curious, and I, I sort of want, once again want to reach out to some folks in our community, people who might want to email the show and let us know what your uh, impressions are of dripstone as a material, whether it's the texture of the block itself, how it pairs with the pointed dripstone outside of its functionality when it comes to pointed dripstone. How do you guys feel about the look of all of this? Because I'm I'm on the fence about it right now, but... If anything, I'm treating it as something to be challenged by and try and, you know, continue to work with until I find something that's going to make it work for me. And maybe that slabs and stairs. Maybe that just involves, you know, giving us a little bit more material variation. And I know slabs and stairs is the refrain of all builders when a new material is brought up at this point. But I do kind of wonder uh, 
at what point this becomes a really valuable material in a builder's tool set or if it just becomes another block that is maligned and overlooked which i don't want of any blocks in minecraft but uh, I think that's probably where we're going to wrap up today's episode of The Spawn Chunks. Thank you folks so much for listening. You can find out more information about the show and links to some of the stuff we've talked about today at thespawnchunks.com. The music for the show was composed by me and The Spawn Chunks is proud to be a listener-supported podcast. If you get some value out of the show, consider putting some value back in. You can visit patreon.com slash thespawnchunks to join our community, where pledging at any level will get you an invite to our patrons-only Discord chat. You can listen to the show being recorded live in Discord, as many of our patrons are right this moment and it even gets us closer to our next milestone goals which is the same sort of thing really hanging out in a mine in a, a discord chat chatting about minecraft with our patrons every month in a monthly minecraft audio hangout we currently have 218 patrons which is up one from last week thank you so much for anyone who's joined us recently and special thanks go out to our content engineers general pattern 82 greener canuck hunter 555 jd williamson jumbo sale and yitz for your support on this episode Sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show. You can find us at The Spawn Chunks on Twitter and Instagram, but personal recommendations are by far the best way to share the podcast with your friends. Just poke a friend in the arm from a safe distance, tell them about The Spawn Chunks and where they can go to listen to it. Where is that, you might ask? You can subscribe for free on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube, or really wherever you get your podcasts. You can email the show once again at spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. Find the RSS feed linked on the spawnchunks.com and the patron-only RSS feed on the Patreon page. That is the only place where you can listen to the render distance, the extended version of the podcast. My name is Johnny, but online I go by Pixelriffs. You can find most of what I do at youtube.com slash Pixelriffs, where I attempt to make sense of this crazy and wonderful game in a series called the Minecraft Survival Guide. I also stream three days a week on Twitch, doing behind-the-scenes work for the Survival Guide. Got a bunch of bonus streams coming up as well in the months of December and January. And I'm also the voice of the unofficial Hermitcraft recap, which you can find through a quick YouTube search. Aside from that, I'm at Pixelriffs on both Twitter and Instagram. Joel, where can people find you online? Just my name, Joel Duggan. I am very easy to find. JoelDuggan.com has my illustration and design portfolio, has links to the Citadel Cafe, the podcast all about sci-fi and fantasy entertainment, where I talked about Star Trek Discovery Season 3 with a couple of buddies this past week. You can also follow me at Joel Duggan on social media and twitch.tv slash Joel Duggan, where planting wheat is my life. Thanks for visiting the Spawn Chunks. The world outside is infinite. Hang tight.